Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's a great joy and a privilege to come to Bath again and bring you greetings from Dan and Fee uh, in America, in St. Charles. And um, what kind of people should we be? Context is really quite important. If the Met Office issues another flood warning, it affects how we prepare. If, however, they got it wrong and there's a drought coming, that would change the way in which we prepare. So our response to the Word of God is to see the Word of God in context. And this particular scripture of 2 Peter 3 verse 11, says he's asking what kind of people should we be but the verse before and the verse after are the context which provides some of the answer. And the context is the second coming of Jesus. What kind of people, therefore, should we be when the heavens open and there's a tremendous release of power that raises the dead that recreates and restores the whole of creation which is groaning for his coming. In the light of that, what kind of people should we be preparing for that event? Very challenging, wouldn't you say? The breaking in of God in the unprecedented greatest encounter of human history in the universe will be preceded by a people who are preparing for that coming. I find that sharply challenging. You want to be amongst that kind of people? Well, one or two people said yes. <laughs> but I'm amongst English people. <laughs> During the 90s and the earlier part of this century, my wife and I had the great privilege of going to visit some of the Christians in the churches in China. And we used to go to certain places, that mainly rural, where there was still a wall around the city with one entrance. And some of the houses were built into the city wall. And they told us that when the emperor of China would come to visit the city, he would arrive on what was called a palanquin. Song of Songs talks about the palanquin. And it's this um, rather ornate sedan chair in which the emperor would sit and he would throw out offerings to the poor. It was surrounded actually by 60 soldiers to protect him. And of course, if the emperor was coming to your city, he would wait outside the wall and he would send somebody in in front of him who was his messenger or who was his forerunner. Did you know the emperor is at the gate? You've never heard of the emperor? You've never received the life and the heart of the emperor? You are not prepared. Dear me, sir, you cannot meet the emperor with that terrible cancer on your head. 
out in the name of Jesus. In the name of the emperor. Was that you I saw rolling out of the bar last night? <laughs> Dear me. You ready to meet the em I'm not making this personal, I promise you. You ready to meet the emperor? It's an oxymoron. How could you and I really be ready to meet the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the judge of all the earth? You know, the world is judging Jesus today. That is going to change. He is the judge of all the earth. And for us whose hearts have been purified and made holy, his judgment is in the form of reward. So the context of this kind of people that we should be is the one of the coming and the preparing for God himself to return to the earth in the form of Jesus. I want us to look just here at the scripture that Jesus uses in Matthew 11 to determine the nature of the forerunner. And he, he comes actually chiding the disciples and the crowds there with the question that he asks three times, the same question. And it's about John the Baptist, who is the individual forerunner of the first coming Jesus, but a prophetic picture of a corporate forerunner, who is us, that final generation, preparing the way for his second coming. And so we just read this here. Jesus began talking about John the Baptist to the crowds. What kind of man, what kind of people, what kind of forerunner did you go out into the wilderness to see? That's the first time he asked the same question. And he says, a wheat reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or... Same question again. Or were you expecting a man dressed in expensive clothing, a rich man? No, such men live in palaces. Third time, same question. It's almost as though he presents the rhetoric answer with a little bit of chiding, a little bit of husbandry, a little bit of clipping. Or were you looking for a prophet? Yes. But he's more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger or my forerunner ahead of you and he will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth, as if Jesus would do anything but tell us the truth. I tell you the truth, no one ever born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. If a man who's the greatest man born of a woman surely has something important to say to us this morning. Would you agree? Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How many of you are in the kingdom? So that's a paradox. The greatest man born of a woman and yet the least of those born in the kingdom is greater than he. 
From the time John began preaching until now, the kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully and the violent take it by force. Verse 7. What did you expect? What kind of person is this forerunner then? Like a reed blown in the wind? You know, I mean, I'm in the kingdom, but you know... Uh, don't get too radical, don't get too, you know, just get, I mean, you've got to go with the flow. The wind of culture, a little bit of porn, you know, I mean, everybody's into it. Just the way the wind blows now today, you know, just click of the button. Is that the kind of man, the kind of woman you would expect as a forerunner? Well, you know, just uh, Government's not doing a very good job. I mean, you know, we pray for Boris, but just withhold a little bit of my taxes. It's been a very slack morning at work this morning. I think I'll surf the internet. <laughs> Boss is not looking. Don't want to get to church too early this morning, you know. Those people, they pray. It's right up in the attic. It's the fourth floor. Long way up there. And I'll skip out of the part of the worship. You know, I want to get to the real meat of the meeting. Come in at a quarter of an hour afterwards. Well, you know, the whole LBG thing, you know, I mean part of the society we're in right now, isn't it? I mean, just welcome everybody, love everybody, floppy, easy grace. Is that what you expect of a forerunner? Even the reluctant man who went into the city and preached, Jonah was his name. Even he, at the right moment, as a forerunner went in and the whole city changed because he didn't mince his words. For we don't offend anybody. Jesus said, I am an offense. My gospel is an offense, but it's also a redemptive glory. Depends which part of the rock you fall on. It will not move. You know, in our day, the wind, that reed, that weak reed is blowing this down and uh, compromise up. This is Jesus in written form, isn't it? May God strengthen us, help us. It's hard when people resist us and make us look ridiculous to believe the Bible. But that's what's going to bring revival, as we sang earlier. Or maybe you're older, and you become a rather stiff, crunchy reed, inflexible. I know what these young people are doing today, but I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, young and old together, the young men and the old men together. The older with their wisdom, the young with their enthusiasm and zeal. Then he asked the question again. He says, well, 
What's this forerunner like? What's this? What did you expect? What kind of people? Um, verse 8, he says, a rich person living in comfort. Just chill out, guys. Don't get too serious. We're here to enjoy life. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, doesn't he? Do come and swell that prayer meeting on a Sunday morning. If you're free, there's no excuse really. My house, Jesus said, should be called a house of prayer for all nations. The main but not the only characteristic of the end time church is a lovesick bride. What a paradox. Violent, take it by force. The violent really is another way of saying the wholehearted. The wholehearted. You can be in the kingdom and yet not of the kingdom. You can have a kingdom clothing, but your heart is still divided between this world and this world system and what you think is that other world. And in the end, unless you bring your feet together, you will split up the middle. I didn't come to church this morning to hear this. I came to be comfortable. I came to be comforted. I, you're making me feel a little uncomfortable. Well, this is Jesus' words, not mine. And so there is, there is a, a sign over the kingdom, if you will, to go through. It's only for the wholehearted wholehearted. I love the way Tim was exhorting us this morning. Give your whole heart to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's your emotions, all your soul, that's your personality, all your mind, that's the way we think, the inside internal conversation, with all your strength, that's your resources, of time and money. I want it all. That's what Tim was exhorting us. Give it all, and he'll give his all to those who give their all. Interesting scripture in John 3, 29 about this forerunner generation, which is a little bit of a paradox. How do you have violent wholeheartedness with the sense of being a bride in love with the bridegroom? I'm not the Messiah, says John. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. You see, are we the bride or are we the friend of the bridegroom? Both. We're the bride in the sense, and this is not a gender thing, obviously. We're the bride in the sense that we have the DNA of the bridegroom. Christ in me, the hope of glory. But in our service, in our ministry, in our marketplace, tomorrow's Monday... We're the friend of the bridegroom, reaching to others to come and meet our friend. 
When we got married, Penny, just come and stand here a minute. I want you to see this best part of my life. Actually, she is the better half. And those of you that know me and her will agree she is the better half. <laughs> she is my best friend. She knows what I'm like. And she loves me. Bridal, bridegroom, love. We've been married 53 years this year. And I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that to get applause. <laughs> it should have been for sympathy. <laughs> for her. <laughs> but she used to have this phrase. I, I was in Aldershot. I was in the army. And she was a nurse up in... St. Thomas's, was it? London. And w those were the days when you had to do this with the phone. You remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd call her. And she'd get all excited. She'd say, is it really you? I'd say, yes, it's me. <laughs> Thank you. Hold me down. Many years later, when I was on my own in China, I managed to get through to her on Skype, and thank you, Tim. And you know what? 40, 50 years later, it was the same voice. Is it you? Is it really you? The thing that changed my life, one of the things that changed my life, there's a real watershed was when I caught the revelation and I began to see and believe and encounter Jesus as a bridegroom. I'd, I'd, I'd been taught to receive him as Savior and then as Lord. If he's not Lord, he's not Lord of all. If he's not Lord at all. Then he was, I experienced a healing from Corrie ten Boom from shingles that was instantly, dramatically, miraculously healed from shingles and it just went like that and then he was now my healer and then I got involved in certain parts of Africa in casting out demons and then I found there were demons in England. Did you know that? <laughs> and now he's my deliverer. So he's savior and he's Lord and he's healer and he's deliverer and he's comforter. But when I saw him as the bridegroom king and judge, it was transformative. As I began to live now for the pleasure of the bridegroom. You cannot repent of wanting pleasure. Because God is a pleasurable God. He enjoys pleasure. You read, you hear, you say to somebody, well, what do you feel the will of God is for you this year? I want to please the Lord. Change the language. I want to give him pleasure. That we as the created can actually affect the emotions of the uncreated God. That is, that is just mind-blowing. Just tip your head back and close your eyes for a moment. Just tell him, God, as much as I know you, I do love you. I love you, God. I thank you. You can open. Do you know you just gave him pleasure?
The reason why there are drugs and alcohol and partying and the abuse of money and the injustice of the rich and the poor and the kind of pursuit of our world is because pleasure is undeniable. You must pursue, you must pursue pleasure. But the problem is that our world is sacrificing long-term satisfying pleasure on the altar of short-term pleasure. And Christians can be like that too. I remember when my wife was over here in England and she was visiting my father who was real sick. He was about 95 and she was able to lead him to the Lord. And as she was returning home, I was preparing the home. And of course, every lady likes flowers. And so I went down to the supermarket with my little cart. And I thought, I'm going to fill up the whole house with flowers. That will please her. And so I went down pushing the cart and I got these. It was December. And they were expensive. <laughs> but the pleasure of the thought of my wife seeing these flowers in the house, that pleasure actually superseded the pain of the wallet. <laughs> Which of those two camps are you in? I was after pleasure, her pleasure, which was a little selfish because her pleasure is my pleasure. And I get to the cash out, the lady says, ooh, someone's a lucky girl, aren't they? I said, yes. <laughs> I've gone now from my thinking and the idea of pleasure to actually doing it, which is giving me greater pleasure. Listen, it's great when you plan things in your mind to please God, but then when you do them, the pleasure increases. It's called obedience of faith. So now we get home, and I, I begin to put the flowers excitedly, put some in the dining room, some in the kitchen, some in the bedroom, some in the parlor, some in the toilet. Not, well, not in the toilet, but in the... <laughs> and I go up to the airport, and I get Penny, and she says, oh, you seem so excited, and I want to tell her, I'm like a little boy before Christmas. But I, I want to wait because I want the pleasure. And oh, why did you? As she sees the hallway full of flowers. And then into the next room, oh, why did you? Well, because I had to, really. No, I, it was my pleasure. Finally, we get to the last room in the house and I know that there are flowers there and she knows there are flowers there because she's already experienced the flowers in all the other rooms and so she starts to laugh at me because she can see on my face and she knows now there's more pleasure in that room with more flowers in that room even though we haven't opened the door so the thing is not about the flowers anymore it's about the pleasure imagine living in pleasure with God and yet so radically violent that your heart has been captured by the tenderness of God in a way that now you are gripped with an unbreakable hold that will take you through every dark hour. 
That's the forerunner. A passionate longing for the bridegroom to come. Somebody who's, I remember visiting uh, Africa one time and I saw these elephants. At least I didn't see the elephants, I just saw the trunk above the water. I thought, well, that's a strange looking beast there. Is that a snake walking on the water? What is that? It was an elephant on the floor with his trunk above. And so Jesus asks for the third time the same question. What's this forerunner like? What, what is John showing us as the end time generation of God? It was so good. What Janine was sharing with us last week that our actions now affect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And a delayed promise of God is His mercy, but it is not a forfeiture of that promise. He will come again. And the things that we are doing as a church, as an older person or a younger person, is correlated directly to that end term end time generation being that forerunner people who will change the face of christianity in a single generation it will come it has to change don't you agree i don't know whether we got the picture of the elephant did we you see more than a prophet said jesus of john the greatest man who ever lived, ever born of a woman, more than a prophet, he said, because he was a prophet who was also a forerunner. You see, we've got a lot of language about the prophetic, and that's good. But because I prophesy doesn't make me a prophet. It makes me a man who prophesies, gift of the Holy Spirit. A prophet is a man breathing from above. He's between, or she's between, two worlds. Paul put it this way, he said, I don't know whether to leave you or go up there and be better with the Lord or whether to stay for your sake. He's living between two worlds. John Stott used to wrote a book about it. Living between two worlds. We're breathing the atmosphere of heaven. We're tasting of the power of an age to come. But I've got to live in this filthy river here and try to not dabble my fingers or feet into it. That's the forerunner. It's more than a prophet. He's one living and breathing the message of heaven and seeking to bring and live it. Like Augustine said, I speak constantly of Christ and sometimes with my words. More than a prophet. So how do we, how do we answer verse 11? that even the least of you in the kingdom is greater than he. I would suggest in two, at least two ways. First of all, in power, for we don't read of any power release in John the Baptist, even though he's likened by Jesus later in this same chapter as Elijah who is to come. And Elijah was a man of great power, wasn't he? We're greater in the sense that now we've been infused with the Holy Spirit who works great miracles and signs amongst us, but greater in privilege. For John had the privilege, didn't he, 
of preparing a people for the first coming. We have the greater privilege of preparing a people, a generation and another and another until the last generation for the second coming. Penny and I were um, just married and we went to a meeting that was held in London by a man uh, called Brother Andrew. Uh, um, some of you may have heard of him. He used to smuggle Bibles into Eastern Europe at the time when there was the Iron Curtain. And uh, we were fascinated with the man's courage and boldness. And at the end of the time of sharing, he said, I'm going to invite you, those of you that would like to respond, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, you want to go. From the end of your street to the ends of the earth is our mandate. What would it look like that at the end of the street, of every street in Bath, there was a fire being kindled for the revival and for the restoration of the earth in the coming of Christ. See, some of John's disciples were troubled at the church diminishing and they were going across to Jesus and came to John. They said, John, you need a better performance on the platform. You need to tone down this repentance thing. They're going across to that other man, that Galilean fellow. John said, it's the reason I came, to point to him. The forerunner generation is pointing to the coming one constantly. So that though that John was this, this lover, he loved, he loved Jesus. It says he stood and heard his voice, the bridegroom's voice. Is it really you? Which means we can hear him, mainly in our thoughts, not with some angel in front of us, although that would be good, persuasive. Me, I hear him in my thoughts. I presume, if they're good thoughts, that I'm ruled by the Spirit and I can trust those thoughts. They're the directions of God or the warnings of God or the hinderings of God. Like the thought that's coming in my mind right now, shut up, it's time to stop. <laughs> but John, although he was this, he wasn't this weird prophet with a locust leg hanging out of his teeth. He, he was a very attractive man. But he was also very bold. He didn't compromise. He wasn't comfortable. He went to Herod. Very apolitical. He was groomed. Now you, you, you know, John, we know you're a fiery preacher and all of that, but you're going to see uh, the king and you, you go in properly and you speak properly when you're spoken to and at the end you know you go out backwards if he doesn't kill you you make sure John you're an adulterer repent so this man burning heart said he was like a bright 
and burning light, John 5. I, I want my life to burn out, not flicker out. I want the fire to be kindled and to rage in me, burn up all the dross, and touch others so that they will catch fire too. It was actually prophesied over Bath City that at the end of every street there would be a fire. And God's mercy delays certain promises. For if he gave them, he would then have to judge us for not fulfilling them properly. But I promise you, according to God's word, the greatest end time burning fire revival, the greatest harvest is yet to come. I want to be part of it, don't you? I don't want to be comfortable Christianity. I, I don't want to be compromised Christianity. I want to be a part of a people who are a prophet and, yea, more than a prophet. And at the end of this meeting with Brother Andrew, he said, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, he said, you come. And God will write your name down. And then one day he'll come and knock and say, okay, now's your time. And I, I was in the army at that time. We were there with my wife. I was, we were the first couple down. Me. Foolish zeal. Ignorant passion. <laughs> and God wrote our name down. And then one day, he said, okay, you remember that time when you said anywhere, anytime, anyhow? Now's the time. I want to invite you anywhere, anytime, anyhow. I'll go from the end of the street to the ends of the earth. My life no longer belongs to me. I'm in the kingdom and I'm of the kingdom. Would you stand? If you want to make that response, there's something about moving your feet in a form of response. Would you come down here? And I will just finish this time together by praying for you. If you are saying, anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm in. Come. No matter what your age, no matter what your situation, I'll go, Lord. I'll go from the end of the street to the ends of the earth, but I will go. Take my name.